My name is Tyler Crandall, and I am the youth pastor here at Common Way Church. And before I was a youth pastor, um, I was an elementary school teacher for a lot of years. And this morning, as we begin our time together, um, I'm going to kind of harness some of that energy. And by the way, you may have a seat. So thank you guys for uh, waiting for that. That was weird and cool. Um, <laughs> So we're going to start our time this morning with a little bit of a, of a popcorn-style um, discussion. And so popcorn means that like the answers are just going to come from you guys. They're going to pop around all over the auditorium. No need to raise your hands or anything. But I am curious, uh, what do you think is the most common word in the Bible? And I'm not talking about words... Oh, thank you, Isaac. I'm not talking about words like an or the or any of those, but, but like, what are some of the most commonly used words in the Bible? What do you think? Salvation. Salvation. Love. Good. Keep them coming. Jesus. Jesus. Good. What was that one? Lord. Lord. Good. Salvation. Love. Jesus. Mercy. Uh, Lord. What else we got? Fear. Did you say beer? <laughs> yeah. Or Fear. Fear, okay? Like, I can think of beer being in there once or twice, but I was like, most common? Been hanging out at the mouse. Trust, that's good. What else we got? Life. All right, let's get one more. Grace and begot. Okay, good, yeah. There's, there are a lot of genealogies. That's a good guess. All right. Uh, okay, I, I don't know about all of these, but I will tell you... Uh, Number one is actually is Lord. So Isaac, I heard you say Lord. Heads up, here's a piece of candy for you. Okay. See, this is all that teacher stuff coming back to me. Uh, in the top five, we also had God, man, Israel, and people. And you know, if you're a good Sunday school kid like me, you probably said God and then said Jesus. Jesus didn't even crack the top 10. He barely sneaks into the top 20 at number 18. Now, to be fair, he only had about half of the book that actually like knew his name. So that's fine. Um, but other top 20 words we had were king, son, sons, earth, city, father. The top hundred had some really fun words like altar, blood, evil, sin, sword. Maybe not as fun as I thought, um, but also chief and Christ, gold, heart, heaven, peace. And then the word that we're going to focus on this morning, which is this one, love. All right, Isaac, thank you. Would you take this back for me, buddy? Enjoy that root beer barrel, too. Those are, those are the best. Depending on what version of the Bible you're looking at, uh, love is in there a lot. Like we said, it's in there 310 times for the, the King James Version. It's in there 645 times for the New Living Translation. And I don't know what the difference is all about, but we're not going to get into that this morning. That's not a battle I'm going to fight. But love is in there a bunch. And it's also a word that we see in, in pop culture, like in our context, a lot. I dare say more than we see words like Israel, sword, chief, and altar. And in pop culture, we love love. We are obsessed with love. We want to go up in a tree and do some K-I-S-S-I-N-G with love. <laughs> Taylor Swift puts out a, a new album about love gone wrong, and we lose our minds. You know, like... We really like love, but in the church, we're big on love too. We go to weddings and we get all misty-eyed as we hear familiar verses like 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, 
it is not proud, and so on and so forth, and you may kiss the bride. But I want to show you the verses that are right before that familiar section. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And there's a reason why I think we don't hear those particular verses at weddings very much. They could be kind of a gut punch for us, right? All that stuff sounds really spiritual and holy, speaking in tongues, prophesying, giving away all our things to the poor, uh, turning our bodies over to hardship. Those don't sound fun, but they sound spiritual. They sound like big swings for the kingdom of God. But if they're not done with love, it says they, they mean nothing. I gain nothing. I am nothing. But have you ever stopped and tried to define love? Like, seriously, have you? Forrest Gump says, I may not be a smart man, Jenny, but I do know what love is. And I think, can you tell me, Forrest? Because I had a hard time answering that question. Have you ever tried? Take a moment and just, and just think about what, how would you define love? Well, the type of love that's mentioned in all those verses in 1 Corinthians is this agape love. And I love this, <laughs> see, love, I really like this definition of it. It's a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. This type of love is at the very core of who God is. It's the attitude that God has towards his son, towards people in general, and especially for those that believe in his son. And agape descri describes his will for his children and for their attitude towards other believers and towards all people. It's not to really, really like. Like I said, I love that definition, or I love pizza, or I love to party. It's not that kind of love. It's not romantic love. It's not tender affection. And it's not even charity necessarily. It is a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's good. It's love in action. Uh, a bunch of us have been reading these books uh, in a series called Emotionally Healthy Fill-in-the-Blank. There's Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and the author of those is Peter Scazzaro, and he has this to say about love. Jesus refused to accept that people were growing in love for God in a way that did not translate into love for people. We must refuse to accept that as well. Building a countercultural community that relates maturely to one another is truly one of the greatest gifts we can offer the world. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul is, is writing to the church in Galatia, and he's trying to help them understand what freedom in Christ means. Uh, he's talking a lot about circumcision, which I'm going to punt on and let Matt handle sometime if he so desires. Uh, 
but what he's talking about is, is that how, you know, you can't just be justified by the law, by following the rules. And Paul says this. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He goes on to say, the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, he makes it sound so simple. And really it is, but just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. To love your neighbor as yourself when it's put to the test is one of the hardest things we can ever try to do. So earlier in this section, uh, you know, I read that part from 1 Corinthians that said, if I do all these great things, but I don't have love, then I'm just a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. And I was thinking, like, what, is, what does that mean? I take it to mean a bunch of noise, but with nothing real behind it. A bunch of, a bunch of pageantry or, or fanfare, but without something meaningful. And I was trying to think about if Paul wrote this letter to us, to the church, not necessarily Common Way Church specifically, but to like the capital C Church, what would he say? Because, you know, we don't talk that much about prophesying or, or about uh, speaking in tongues. What would he say to us in our context? And a couple of these examples might be kind of convicting for you, and I know they were for me as I tried to wrestle with this, but in the context of 1 Corinthians, the things that Paul wrote to them were really convicting for them. Paul was coming off the top ropes. He wasn't pulling any punches. Now, one more thing, a quick disclaimer. As I came up with this little list, I wasn't picturing specific people from our congregation. Okay, As they say at the beginning of, of some movies or TV shows, any, uh, what was it, any resemblance uh, to, where did I write this down? Sorry. Any similarity to actual persons or events is purely coincidental. Okay. But if I serve on the board of two nonprofits and I volunteer as a greeter at church once a month, but I don't have love, I'm putting on a show because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If I read multiple books every year about spiritual gifts and I subscribe to a newsletter about personality types, but I don't have love, I'm just hoarding the knowledge for myself because the only thing that counts is love expressing itself, sorry, is faith expressing itself through love. If I volunteer at the soup kitchen and at the animal shelter and I recycle, but I don't have love, chances are I'm actually probably a pretty great person. But am I doing it out of a place of love for God and love for others? Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now listen, all the activities and the actions that I listed and that Paul listed, those are good things. Some of them are like great things, noble things. And we shouldn't stop doing them. But if we're not doing them out of a place of love, what could it look like? to do them out of a place of love. And maybe you're sitting there thinking like, whoa, Tyler, I'm not out here trying to be some kind of like professional super Christian, so just chill out. And that's fair, right? But I want to think about this just in like a small way, with no volunteering or extra reading required. How can we approach just a simple one-on-one -on -one interaction with another person 
in a way that's more like how Jesus would do it. Because as a church, we've talked about wanting to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. But how does that translate into just interacting with another person? Well, Jesus was others-focused. And in our Deeper Participants Guide on page 40, there's a handy table about what that can look like to go from being others-focused to being, sorry, to go from being self-focused to more others-focused. Okay, so I want you to picture this. We got two people. They're meeting together at a coffee shop. Um, One of the people, Rick, he is trying to be more like Jesus. So he's going to try to be more others-focused instead of self-focused. So Rick and Steve, they sit down for coffee. Steve launches into this whole thing about his car and some trouble that he's having with it. And, and Rick, he had an issue with his car a while back, and he has this doozy of a story about a time when he was in West Virginia and the car broke down and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. But because Rick wants to be more like Jesus, he's just going to nod and listen and say, man, I've been there. What happened next? In the past, Rick would have just talked over Steve to work that story in because it's really, really good. And like the climax of the story is unbelievable. But in asking questions and and not getting into his story, he's staying curious. He's not making himself the center of the conversation. And in a rather simple way, Rick is being sacrificial here. He's not going to one-up Steve's story, but rather he's going to allow Steve to talk and be heard. Now, in this conversation, Steve says something about how these car troubles make him feel emasculated because he doesn't know how to fix his own car, and that resonates with Rick. And Rick says, man, I feel that too. What what is that all about? Rick is being intentional in this whole interaction. It's a willful act to keep the conversation focused around his friend. And you know, somebody that I know that's excellent at doing this is our college pastor, Gus Goggin, right? I'm getting some nods. When me and Gus hang out, I do all the talking almost. And I don't know if it's because I'm (laughs) self-focused or if it's because Gus is just a super good listener and really good at being others-focused. He loves me really well in that way. And as a quick side note, if you ever want to see some kind of like awkward and funny pictures, go online and type in whatever you want to see, and then stock photo. And it is a wild ride. (laughs) There's like so many weird facial expressions and odd hand positions. If you look up two guys playing Frisbee, you will not be disappointed. I can guarantee that. (laughs) All right, so uh, back to what I was talking about. We're going to look at one more scene here. Uh, We've got a young couple. This one is not a stock photo. This is Aaron and I in 2009. (laughs) And uh, man, what a fox. And Aaron looks pretty good, too. And sometimes I think, I've aged pretty well. And then I see pictures like that, and I'm like, I have not. (laughs) It's it's been a rough ride. Uh, Okay, so anyway, in this scenario, Tyler, as you can see, it's the, the holidays are coming up, and Tyler has bought Aaron a big, ugly light bulb for some reason. And uh, Aaron, she's trying to be more like Jesus. She's trying to be others-focused instead of self-focused. So... In her mind, Erin knows that she's hinted to Tyler several times that she wants new earrings and for their house to be cleaned. Those would be her top favorite Christmas gifts. But rather than assuming that Tyler 
is a big dumb animal who just bought this light bulb because he saw it and it was easy, she's going to believe the best about Tyler. And she's going to say, that's a cool light bulb. What's it for? Because, <clears throat> you know, she's growing a lot and being more like Jesus. Well, Tyler explains to her that he uh, had heard her comment a couple times about how dark it was in the living room. And so he thought that the light bulb could help. And so then Aaron, rather than belittling Tyler for buying a light bulb that doesn't fit any lights in their house, (laughs) she thanks Tyler for trying to be thoughtful. And and even though she thinks the light bulb is a little bit ugly, she suggests that they go shopping soon to try to find a light that can accommodate such a big, dumb bulb. (laughs) Now, in this example, it would be easy to think like, okay, so the point of this is just be nice and pretend that you like gifts when you don't like them. That's not it. That's not what agape love is about. You are certainly allowed to feel your feelings. You're allowed to feel disappointment and even express that to people. You know, you're allowed to be right sometimes and even to, to push for decisions that, that kind of benefit you, you know, that you feel strongly about. You don't have to become a speed bump and, and let other people always have their way. But I think for some of us, maybe a lot of us, our default is to be self-focused. But when we're growing and we're becoming more like Jesus, we become more others-focused. And as we practice it, it becomes more and more automatic. You know, looking at that list on on page 40, uh, and there's more than just these, it's easy to imagine situations where we could practice being others-focused whether it be a conflict at work or changes in a friendship, chatting on the phone with our parents, or navigating some kind of family dynamics. There's lots of different ways that we can be others-focused. And this makes me think of just one more kind of silly example. So over fall break, our family did a lot of traveling. By the way, the light bulb situation was mostly made up. Like it was, I'd never bought Aaron a big light bulb, but you can kind of see how we got there. Anyway, so we're getting ready to drive a bunch for fall break, and we have this podcast that we like to listen to in the car, and I was just a couple of episodes behind. Aaron was like a bunch of episodes behind. And it's not the kind of podcast where it's crucial to like listen to them all in order. There's not like this story that's going on. It's just a comedy podcast. And the guys that are all professional comedians, they look at a topic and they talk about it. But from episode to episode, sometimes there's some carryover in the jokes. And so sometimes you can get a little lost if you're not up to date. And so I said, the night before our drive, we're, we're just, just talking. I was like, you know, Aaron, generally you fall asleep, and, and I'm the one driving, and I would rather listen to some of the episodes that I haven't heard yet rather than listening to older episodes so that you can catch up. And she was like, I get that. And so we start driving, and I know in my head that I'm ready for episode number 118 about language. And I know in my heart, or at least I think I know, that if Erin picks episode 118 to play for us, that it's because she loves me and because she knows she has what's best for me in heart, right? Well, she presses play, and it's episode 116, Arizona. I'm crushed. (laughs) And I assume that, that she did this because she doesn't care about me and she doesn't want what's best for me. But, you know, I'm trying to be more like Jesus, so I let it go for like a second. And then I say, (laughs) I thought we decided we were going to listen to the episode about language because you always fall asleep and I'm the one driving. And and she said, oh, is that what you heard? (laughs) 
Guys, somehow we both failed at this, at something so silly as picking a podcast to listen to in the car. And you know, stories like this, they can sound kind of trivial or, or dull, but that's where life happens, right? It happens in those small moments with the people that we live with and work with. And it's in those small moments, day after day after day, that we can focus on ourselves or we can focus on others. We can put their needs and wants above our own. Before we move on, I do want to say this. Going back to that working definition that we're using for love as pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good, that does not mean that you stay in an abusive relationship or that you open yourself up to be taken advantage of. You know, a lot of us have to work hard on the part of as you love yourself when it says love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes that, like loving yourself well, it means setting boundaries. It means saying enough is enough. This type of agape love is at its best when people are giving it and receiving it. And that's what healthy community is. It's, it's when a group of people work on loving one another well. And that's, again, part of what God desires for us. Part of his hope is that we would be a community that loves one another well. In John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples for their last time all together. And he tells them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. <laughs> love one another. That's what counts. At its best, love for God and love for each other is one and the same. We love God, so we love others. We love others because of our love for God. These are two loves which at their highest are actually one love. And Lisa kind of alluded to this. When I first got this topic, I was like, this is going to be so easy. Because some of this stuff, like, I can generally say, I do this well. Um, like, it's an area that God has really grown me. Um, like, one of the final things in that table about being uh, moving from being self-focused to others-focused, is this, seize the value in pursuing a variety of friends rather than pursuing friends who are only like me. And I do have like a really rich and diverse friend group. And I don't mean money rich, I mean rich in the breadth and the depth of these friendships that I have across racial and social and age and other categories that we make up. But what prepping for this sermon has done is it's revealed to me how self-focused I actually am and how much room there still is for growth for me to truly love others. You know, since I'm not Jesus, thankfully, uh, there's always room for growth in how I love others. And I think over the years, God has really helped me grow, especially in the area of loving people that are kind of on the outskirts of, of society or on the margins you know, I'm relatively quick to engage in conversation with a stranger or to give somebody a ride or to try and meet a tangible need if I'm able to. But I'm realizing more and more that to the people in my life to whom I actually say, I love you, I'm kind of annoyed 
when I have to go out of my way for them. You know, I'm realizing that at times I will sit and listen to others and I will give my time generously to them when I feel like it's a part of my job in ministry. But when I'm actually home, I'm not that engaged. You know, I would almost never be looking at my phone if I was out to lunch or coffee with somebody or I'm listening to somebody tell me their whole life story. But when I'm hearing my kids tell me about their day, I'm often not totally present. I don't like that. That stinks. I want to do better in that area. You know, our goal with all of these deeper topics is not perfection. It's progress. So what's one way that you can be a more loving person just this week? You know, maybe it's loving someone who is on the outskirts of your life or on the margins of society. Maybe it's loving a coworker that's honestly not that easy to love. Maybe it's loving well the ones in your life to whom you actually say, I love you. Last week, I was here at the church, I was headed to the restroom, and I walked past Voc Rehab, and there's a guy out there sitting in a wheelchair, um, and I smiled, and I said, good morning, and then I went into the bathroom, and, but there was something about my tone in that that I didn't like. It was something almost like, I acknowledge your existence, on with your day, and that was the end of it. So as I washed my hands, I decided, okay, if this guy's still there, I'm going to talk more. I'm going to try to engage just a little bit more. And so I went out, and, and he's still there, and I say, how are you this morning? And he says, pretty good, sir. How are you? And I say, great, man. Have a good day. So this time, instead of just acknowledging his existence, I extended common courtesy. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I'm like, on with your day, Tyler. So then I get back to the office, and, and I'm at the door, and I get this thought of like, man, that guy really reminded me of my friend Nate that I knew right out of college. Um, and so I've got my hand like hovering over the door handle. And I think, what if that is Nate? So I decide to go back for a third interaction with this guy. And this time I actually startle him because his back is to me. And I go up and probably more loudly than I meant to because that's how I roll sometimes. I said, hey man, what's your name? <laughs> and he startled and he says, Vincent. And I say, oh, cool, man. It's so nice to meet you, Vincent. I, uh, I work here at the church, and, and when I was talking with you, you just reminded me so much of my friend Nate. You, know, you sound like him, and, and he uses a wheelchair too, and so I just thought I needed to come back. And he kind of interrupts me, and he says, uh, actually, I am Nate. He says, uh, and when you walked by, I was doing a double take at you too, because I was like, I think that might be Tyler. You know, he didn't know I worked here. I didn't know he would be here. There was no reason for any of that. He says, you know, my actual first name is Vincent, but not that many people know that. And you know, I don't know, we talked for a little while, we caught up a bit, we talked about our wives and our kids. Um, he still lives in Muncie, which I had forgotten about. Um, now, do I know that that interaction was 100% purely motivated by love for God and love for others? No. I don't know that. I do know that the Holy Spirit was stirring something in me as I, as I stood by that door, deciding whether or not to go back for a third, possibly weird, awkward interaction. And, and this whole thing with Nate made me think of another quote from Peter Scazzaro. It says, recognize that each person is unrepeatable. 
a treasure too great to calculate, an image bearer of the living God. We treat individuals as sacred, as one created from the very breath of God. Most importantly, we welcome their otherness, acknowledging how different they are from us. Y'all, this is how God sees people, as treasures too great to calculate, as bearers of his image. That's why he sent Christ to die for us. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if this is how God sees people and how much he loves them, who am I to see anybody as less than that? and to not extend love to them in my own fumbling, imperfect ways. Loving people well was a big deal to Jesus. In fact, when somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, there's actually kind of two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you want to know which kind of love is used in that verse? It's agape, again. It's that true, pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Now, I don't want us to leave here and and go around judging other people like, oh, you're volunteering with the youth, but are you doing it out of a place of love? Because if not, it doesn't count. The point is for us to each look at ourselves, to take a look in the mirror. We're not giving out grades to other people. We're looking to grow more mature ourselves and try to love the people the way that Jesus loved. You know, we ourselves are never going to be able to love well enough or selflessly enough or with the purest enough of emotions to save ourselves. We can't. But again, that's not the point. The point isn't to try harder or to just be nicer, but if we're serious about loving people, if we're serious about loving Jesus, then we have to be serious about loving other people. And I was trying to think of of one more example here. I was trying to think of an example of a time where Jesus demonstrated this. And I just kept coming back to the same story. And there's maybe a better one out there, but this is the one that kept sticking with me. So Jesus is on his way to the house of an important person. He's on his way to the house of Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler. Uh, He's got a sick daughter at home. He's come to Jesus to say, will you please come save my daughter? And so Jesus is on his way to do that, and he's walking through some crowds. Crowds so thick that it says they almost crushed him. So you can imagine, he's getting jostled and and bumped and everything. And as he's walking, there's a woman there who, she's been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. She spent all her money trying to be healed, and nobody could give her any answers. And as Jesus walks by, she touches the edge of his cloak, and she's immediately healed. Now, keep in mind, Jesus, he's on a hurry. He's He's on a mission to save a life. But he stops because he, he knows that somebody touched him. He says, I, I felt power go out from me. And eventually the woman admits that she did it. And Jesus just looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus could have kept going. He could have just kept walking. 
The woman was healed. She actually got what she wanted. (laughs) But Jesus, being Jesus and loving well, he didn't leave it at that. He announced in front of the crowd that she was healed and that she was made clean. You know, for those 12 years that she was bleeding, she would have been ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't have been able to go into the the temple or the synagogue to worship. She probably wouldn't have been invited to other people's homes for festivals and for feasts. So Jesus not only made sure that she was healed, he made sure that she was restored too because he desired her highest good. And you know, as Christians, as, as little representatives of Jesus walking around in this world, we should try and do the same. We should love God and love others. Now, some of this we can kind of accomplish from trying harder, but ultimately, it comes from change inside of us that only Jesus can bring about. We have to take time to be with Jesus. We have to allow his spirit to do deep transformative work in our hearts. Because being someone who who can love others purely and willfully and sacrificially, it's not really something we can do all on our own. But in his power, we can. And as you grow in him, he will enable you to love God and to love others. To love your friends, to love your spouse, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, to love your classmates and your neighbors and even strangers. And as we close, I'd like to invite you to think about this question for just a moment. What would it look like this week to demonstrate your love for God in the way that you love others? Um, As we've been doing for the past few weeks, I'd like to invite our our prayer team uh, to go to their spots. And if if anything this morning is stirring in you and you would like uh, someone to pray with you, just go see one of these lovely people. Uh, But would you stand and pray with me if you're able? God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the people in this room and and others that might be watching online. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to love others well as as a reflection of our love for you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of the work you're doing in the world right now. God, I pray that we wouldn't see loving others as just like another thing to do but as the core of what we do as your people. Help us to be others-focused the way Jesus was, but also recognize our limits and our emotions and to honor those the way Jesus did. Lord, give us strength. Give us hope. Give us love. Amen.